if you had an hour with Jesus, an appointment with him tonight, and you sat down with him to hear what he would say to you, he would say to you the same thing that he said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born again to experience the kingdom of God. There is power in the Gospel of John. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. If you were with us for our broadcast yesterday, you know that we return to our study of the Gospel of John. You'll find much more about this year-long study on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. But today, we'll continue with David's message called, You Must Be Born Again. Your life is moving along in some direction and you get blown off course. You're not sure why, but it simply happens to you. The, The Spirit is controlled by the Spirit's will and what He desires to do. He blows as He wills. But just like you can't see the wind, but you know it's there, the same should be true with us in our spiritual rebirth. The Holy Spirit has given life to our hearts. It can't be seen, but there should be manifestations of that Spirit's life within us. There is the root of the Spirit in us. There's the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. There's the fruit of the Spirit of loving our neighbors, of even loving our enemies because we know Jesus who lives in us commands us to do so. Though we can't see the Spirit who is in us, we know life change has occurred. It's evident to us and so many people around us. I'll never forget the woman who said to me one time, you know, I've never seen Jesus change water into wine, but my husband was born again and suddenly I saw his wine changed into money that feeds our children. That's it, folks. When the Spirit blows in your heart and you become born again, you'll see the manifestations of that Spirit's life. Now look at Nicodemus' response in verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? I mean, again, Jesus is talking spiritual language. Nicodemus is understanding in fleshly terms. I've had so many people I've talked to about spiritual truths, and it just goes right over their head. They have no clue what I'm talking about because unless you've been born again, you can't understand these spiritual truths that I'm sharing with you, nor could Nicodemus. How can these things be? Verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel? Note that. Are you the teacher of Israel? Nicodemus, not only on the Sanhedrin, not only a ruler, not only among the 70, but he was the teacher of Israel. He was the one who people went to hear unfold the Scripture. He was the guy. He was number one. He was the most listened to podcast during that day regarding the teaching of the Scripture. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Here's what Jesus is saying. As the teacher of Israel who probably memorized the whole Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you memorized all of that. You you are knowledgeable about the whole Old Testament from Genesis through Malachi. You teach it. You're the teacher. And, And you don't remember some important verses. For example, like in Ezekiel chapter 36, where God promises to his people in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put 
within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That's what Jesus is saying here. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes within you. God does a heart transplant. He takes away that heart of sin and stone, that heart of guilt and shame, and he puts a new heart within you, a heart of flesh, a heart of tenderness toward God, a heart to do his will above all else. And Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you're the teacher, and you don't understand Ezekiel 36, 25 and following? I mean, you've never studied that before? And I bet he said, and what about chapter 37 in Ezekiel, where there's a valley of dry bones, they're dead, and God's spirit comes upon all of those dry bones, and the spirit of God takes those bones and starts attaching them to muscle and sinew and flesh, and then breathes his life into all of those dead corpses, and they come alive. Nicodemus, haven't you ever read Ezekiel 37? You're the teacher. You should know what that's talking about. It's a spiritual rebirth of the heart. And also, didn't you ever read Jeremiah chapter 31, where the prophet Jeremiah is addressing the people in the captivity, trying to give them hope for new life and a new purpose and a new direction in their lives. And in Jeremiah 31, starting with verse 33, look at these things for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law, where? Within them, and I will write it, where? On their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And in verse 31, Jeremiah says, This is going to be a new covenant. Remember at the Lord's table where Jesus broke the bread and drank the wine and said, This is my new covenant that I give to you, it, it's going to be a covenant of the heart. It's going to be a, a rebirthed heart. That dead heart that died with sin with Adam is going to be made alive again. It's going to be a heart of flesh, a heart that desires to obey the will of God from uh, the first time you meet Jesus until you go to be with him. You're the teacher of Israel, Nicodemus, and you don't understand these things? Verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you the third time, amen and amen. So be it, so be it. Listen up, listen up. This is really important that you understand this. We speak of what we know. Now, now who are the we there? I think he's talking about his own disciples who are following him. He's talking about John the Baptist who knew who he was and probably a few others. We speak of what we know. We know this new birth. We know this reality within us, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Dear friends, the wind has been blowing on some of your hearts for a long time, and you've continued to reject that wind. You've continued to reject the testimony of people around you who share with you the glory of Jesus. You're rejecting my message right now. I can't force you to choose to let Jesus enter your heart and have this new birth. But if you continue to reject him, let me just give you this warning. If you die with that stony heart inside of you, you will perish. You will go to hell. We'll look more clearly at this next week in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not 
perish. God doesn't want you to perish, but you've got to quit resisting the promptings of the blowing of the Holy Spirit upon your heart. Respond to him today. Please, the only sin that can never be forgiven is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. The blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is the refusal to respond to the promptings of the Spirit, to acknowledge your sin, to convict you of your awfulness, and then come to faith in Jesus where he will forgive you of your sins. You'll appear before the Father after this life, and you will be welcomed into his kingdom because your sins are forgiven and you know what Jesus the Son has done for you. We speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Again, another time Jesus says, how can you understand heavenly spiritual things when you've not been born again and you're trying to understand things only from an earthly perspective. You just can't. You must be born again to understand the truths of the kingdom of God. Then look at these verse. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, what Jesus here is doing is talking about the two world's religions. He's basically saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you've been a part of one world's religious system. And it's basically this system. You believe by obeying those 613 commandments that you can ascend to heaven. That by your works, you can work hard, become perfectly holy before God, and he will accept you into heaven. That's one religious system. And folks, it's not just the Jewish faith that believes that. I would invite you to do a world's religion study. Every single world's religion believes that. They believe that ultimately, if they just do enough good, they're good enough for God to accept them into heaven. It's called works righteousness in the Bible. It's one system of religion. Uh, the Hindus believe that if you're just good enough, you'll be reincarnated over and over again to higher life forms, then flow into nirvana, into nothingness. Uh, the Muslims believe that you'll obey God with all of those fivefold places of righteousness, and they have an angel on each shoulder counting up your good and bad deeds, and at the end of your life, you hope that it's 5149. Uh, the Jewish people, the Pharisees especially, believed if I obey the law, we'll have God's blessings. If I don't, I'll have his curses, and I'll get to heaven if I just do enough. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, that's one world system of religion, and you're into it. But he said there's another one that doesn't have anything to do with you trying through your works to descend from heaven and to um, ascend to heaven, except there's another world system where there's one called the Son of Man who has descended from heaven. Now, the Son of Man is a biblical term that is all about Jesus. Uh, it's talked about in over 70 times in the Gospels about Jesus himself. It comes from Daniel, the seventh chapter, a prophecy about the coming of Messiah, and he will be called the Son of Man. Jesus often used the term to describe himself. He also used the term Son of God because he's perfectly God and perfectly human at the same time. He has to be perfectly man, the Son of Man, to live the perfect life none of us can live, to die on the cross, to take our place as humans, but also God because God's the offended party. Jesus has to forgive us. I can't forgive you for anything because I have my own mess I have to confess. But Jesus lived a perfect righteous life as God himself and he forgives us of our sins on the cross and through the resurrection. And we know therefore forgiveness is true because Jesus is not only the son of man, perfect man, he's also the son of God, perfect God, one man in both God and human. It's an amazing reality that the Bible teaches over and over again. So the second world's religion then is not that you can ascend through your works, but the Son of Man, the second person of the Godhead, 
descended to us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, that God became one of us. Jesus descended and incarnated himself. The Holy Spirit created Jesus in the womb of Mary, bypassing the way that sin is normally transmitted. And so Jesus is the perfect God-man in Mary's womb. He descended from heaven to pursue us, to die on the cross, to forgive us of our sins so that once forgiven, the third person of the Godhead can now indwell a forgiven, righteous human heart. And we have the new birth. We understand the kingdom of God. And we want to live for him forever and ever. Final verse in verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, Jesus calls himself that again, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, some of you may know this story. In Numbers 21, the the people of God rebelled against God. And so God brought fiery serpents against them, and they started biting them, and they started to die. And the illustration there is just as the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden and invited the poisonous, sinful condition of death into our bodies, so this serpent was biting the people, and the poison was causing them to die. And God said to Moses in Numbers 21, verse 9, some powerful words about what he was supposed to do. Moses confessed that the people had sinned in verse 7, and he also said we need to pray to the Lord. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live." So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Uh, For those of you who are in the medical profession, you know that that pole and the serpent wrapped around it comes from Numbers 21, especially verse 9, and that is the symbol of healing. And it's what you've committed yourself with a Hippocratic oath to do no harm and to try to bring healing to people. And boy, you just need to know how much we honor you and respect you over this past year with the pandemic. You're the true heroes. No sports athletes or even pastors. You're the true heroes on the front line of trying to combat this disease. And so God said to Moses, take a bronze serpent, put it on a pole and lift it up. And he said, if the people will look to that, even if a snake bites them, they'll live. It is a universal sign of healing. And here Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up that bronze serpent in the wilderness and that brought health and healing to people, so the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, anytime in John, and we'll look at this in the next year, you see the term be lifted up, it's talking about the cross. Jesus later says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. He's talking about the cross. And so here he's saying to all of us, In your sin, as you've been bitten by a serpent, the enemy himself and his poisonous, deathly venom flows through your veins, and you have been guaranteed spiritual and physical death. Look at me on that cross. Dear friends, the universal symbol of the church is not the serpent on a pole, but the cross of Christ. I hope wherever God finally lands us as a place where we can worship weekly, we will have crosses everywhere. There was a time some 20 years ago, churches said, oh, let's not put crosses up. That'll offend people. We don't want religious symbols. Man, I say put crosses up. What do they mean? They mean that Jesus was lifted up. And when we look up to him being lifted up, we experience his new birth. We experience 
the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what he says here, that when he is lifted up and we look up, then the final verse, verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The new life of Jesus is birthed within us. No longer do we have to worry about physical death. Physical death, just go to sleep. Then you awaken in the place of Jesus, in his heaven, in his eternity, with all of our loved ones who believed as well. We believe in him as we look at that cross, and we have not only been born again, we have the gift of eternal life. It's the greatest gift that Jesus could give us. Dear friends, if you had an hour with Jesus, an appointment with him tonight, and you sat down with him to hear what he would say to you, he would say to you the same thing that he said to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You must be born again to experience the kingdom of God. And look at his cross. Look at it and feel that wonderful feeling of your sins being forgiven, that new birth in your heart. Just like I know I'm physically alive, I know the new birth has happened within me. I know I'm forgiven. And because of that, I believe in Jesus and have the assurance of eternal life. Dear friends, that's what Jesus would say to you. And I hope you'll receive him now if you don't know him. If you do know him, you'll just keep feeding that spiritual life within you through the word of God, through worship, through prayer, by being with other believers, and continue to nurture your body, and your soul with the spirit life that is within you, and that will please Jesus like nothing else. And as you know, we're getting ready next week to look at verse 16, which may be the most famous verse in the Bible, but it has to be understood coming after Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will never perish, never go to hell, never have spiritual death but we'll go to heaven and have the gift of eternal life. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. What is love? Coming up, David and I dig into one of his Davidisms about how our actions reveal our love for others. We'll be right back. What do you do when you begin drinking at ages 10 to 12? Where can your life go when you started abusing drugs at ages 13 to 15? You want to be part of the fabric of society, yet you emotionally stop maturing the day your addiction took over your life at the tender age of 12. I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission, and we have served people who have stood at the intersection of homelessness and addiction for well over 80 years. But what is it that they really need? Well, beyond building a foundation of long-term sobriety in their life, how does one obtain the life skills they never learned but desperately need to thrive in society? You know, they should have learned them growing up, but now they're an adult. What do they do? And where do they go? Let me tell you where they come. Community Matters Cafe is more than just good food and house-roasted coffee. It's an extension program of Charlotte Rescue Mission that is transforming lives. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community. You know, and after men and women graduate from Charlotte Rescue Mission's 120-day Rebound Men's and Dove's Nest Women's residential programs, they have the option to enroll in the Life Skills Program at Community Matters Cafe. And during the six-month program, students learn a variety of critical skills in a restaurant setting that help them get and keep long-term employment. 
Community Matters Cafe is located diagonally opposite the Panther practice fields at the corner of Cedar and West First Street. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church in this important life-changing ministry in our community. Thanks for listening to Moments of Hope. I'm Jen Houston, and with me is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, hi, Jen Houston, and I hope you are doing very well today. I am. Thank you very much. David, in one of your morning e-devotions, you recently wrote about how love is a verb. What, What does this mean? Well, it's one of the things I really believe in life, Jen, and that we in the American culture especially have misdefined and misused the whole idea of what love truly is. Mm. So when you ask the question, what is love and its definition, uh, people often respond with an emotion, uh, with a feeling, with a sentiment that is in their hearts. And those things aren't unimportant. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my seminary profs said when I met Marilyn for the first time and fell in love with her, he said, well, just remember that that emotion is not bad. That's the spark that gets the engine running. But mm. just remember, covenant commitment is what keeps the engine running. That's good. So it's not bad to have emotion. When you're talking about love, that's a good thing. But really, as you explore the true meaning of love, it's not being in love which is an emotion, which is a sentiment, which is a feeling. Real love is different. Real love is a verb. Real love means that when you love somebody, you express your love through your actions. Love is shown by things you do. So, Jen, let me ask you this question. You're married to Chris, and imagine Chris saying to you, hey, I really love you, Jen, over and over again, but he never does anything to help Mm -hmm. you in the marriage, serve you, concerns for you. Mm -hmm. How would you respond to that? I would say, show me. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. True love expresses love in action. Mm -hmm. A true love tries to give care to the object of that love. So Jesus said something similar. If you love me, you will obey my commands. That's John 15, verse 10. And one of the greatest commands that he tells all of his followers is to love one another, not just a sentiment, not just a feeling but in service, really caring for one another. Hmm. So if you are loving your toddler, you pick up your toddler when the toddler's screaming and care and Mm -hmm. caress Mm -hmm. and speak words of life and love. Uh, When you are showing kindness to a homeless stranger, when you give them a meal, for example, or take them to the homeless shelter where they'll have a place to sleep, that's showing love to the stranger. Uh, When your neighbor is sick, showing love means you go visit or bring food or something like that. Mm -hmm. In a marriage, it means sometimes letting the wife sleep in so that you care for the kids and she can get some rest. Love is a verb. Love is action. So in obedience, dear friends, show your love for Jesus by loving others well. If you truly love him, you will love those around you. That's the proof of your love for God. That's because love is a verb. This is so good. And the phrase that comes to mind as you're talking is love costs something. It costs time. It costs energy and it costs creativity, maybe making a meal for someone. So it it really does cost 
just somebody who's trying to show the love. Yeah. So our word to everyone today is, yes, say that you love people. Mm -hmm. Express that love with your words. Let those feelings inside of you grow and grow. But if you really love someone, it is expressed in an action of care, love, and service, also using your words with encouragement as well. So love is a verb, folks. Remember that it's not just what you feel. It's not just even what you say. It is what you do. And if you'd like these daily Moments of Hope to come into your inbox, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They'll come into your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. It's my gift to you. It's free to give you a daily moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking that you look for someone to show love to you today.